wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Backchat, exploring the five pillars of health with Dr. Paul Bergamo and Dr. Anthony Coxon. Welcome to Backchat. My name is Anthony Coxon, and it's a great pleasure to be here on our next Backchat podcast. Backchat is about being your best. It does this by exploring the five pillars of health. It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also with your neurology. Today's Backchat is a little different than most. Firstly, our Backchat host, or our tickle host, Paul Bergamo, has given me the honor of doing today's intro. And secondly, and not without some sadness, after a 38-odd podcast, this will be my last podcast as your Backchat co-host. So without further ado, I may introduce our host, Paul Bergamo. How are you, Paul? I'm very good, Anthony. Look, I was a bit confused thinking, am I meant to jump in here and say something at the start of this? But no, that's right. You are entering our last podcast together by uh, fronting up with the show. I'm very well. How are you going? I'm super good, and uh, already I'm feeling a little bit uh, out of sorts. I'm doing the intro. I'm sitting remotely at my desk. You're remotely at yours. We're normally side by side at about, oh, I don't know, whatever time in the evening doing these uh, podcasts, aren't we? That's right. I think I reflected just recently that uh, our latest time was at 2.03 a.m. with Professor Ted Carey. Do you remember that one? I do, I do. I think I struggled at work a little bit that next day. That was that, that really went into the wee hours of the morning. That's right. And actually had one person, we, we had our neurologic education seminar on the weekend, and he had one guy, uh, Dr. Anthony Papalio, come up to us, and he actually said to me, you know, that podcast you did, I reckon you guys sounded like you were, you were a bit weary. Were you guys, <laughs> was there a few beverages involved then? And then I sort of yeah. explained the context that was, a four-hour podcast with Professor Carrick over three uh, serial podcasts. Uh, it was a, it was one of our uh, big events, wasn't it? It was, and I guess given that uh, he's uh, we're working on his uh, US time, and we're just trying to fit in and get in whenever we can. So uh, yeah, but we made it work, and that was a great podcast, and that's one of you know many that I'm very proud to be have been involved with, and um, and I've got to thank you for this, Paul, because uh, it was your baby and your idea to begin with, and I think uh, I've really enjoyed it. I think we've interviewed some really interesting people who have given our listeners some uh, some really great health tips. Absolutely. And I know that you've traveled around different circles through the CAA, different seminars, and it's it's a really humbling feeling actually when Cairo's tap you on the shoulder going, hey, I heard that podcast. That was really good on exercise fears or the podiatry podcast, the surgeons we've interviewed, the hand, uh, foot, spinal surgeon, Professor Carrick, physiotherapy, um, and then our inspirational ones with um, Wayne Swass, uh, Lisa Cox, uh, we've, we've delved into really different areas that are, that honestly, Anthony, when I asked you to come on board, I thought, I'm not sure where this is going to go, but it's certainly gone a lot further than I anticipated. Uh, it definitely has. And look, I think I certainly remember the Wayne Schwash run as probably being one of our most moving ones talking about, um, uh, clinical depression and his journey as a, a an elite AFL footballer living with depression and silently living with depressions, uh, too embarrassed to have that conversation with anyone till, Till much later in his career, and uh, now he's out there trying to promote that as uh, as an awareness thing that's you know so so important in in modern day living. Absolutely. So I suppose you and I have chatted about how we're going to run this podcast slightly differently, in a sense, aren't we? Yes, it's just you and I. Where uh, I think uh, I started as host, but I think uh, for, for this podcast, but I think this is where uh, I become guest and you become host. Now, isn't that the way we're doing it? I think we're swapping hats again. So, really, this is a very labour-intensive podcast for you, Anthony. You're uh, doing ninety-nine percent of the work on this one, but uh, excellent. So, look, we we discussed the fact that we're going to flip the turn and come around to asking you questions from your experiences, not only the podcast, of course, but in your career as a chiropractor personal experiences yes. through your life, etc., and, and run through the five pillars of health, uh, the ones that you introduced, the thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also neurology, and, and I suppose what they mean to you personally, and from there the podcast will evolve. Well, let's start with thinking, uh, and you've given me a bit of an up. Uh, shot of this, so uh, I have prepared a few things or given it some thought, and and I think um, I mean we've interviewed quite a few people on the uh, the psychology of thinking, uh, all of which have been fantastic, and I think a fundamental uh, message that I got from them um, was the idea of purpose that. Uh, 
to be, I guess, settled in, in your life. And I don't like to use the word settled, but to be happy and content with the path that you're on, probably that's a better way to describe it. Um, there has to be something that you're looking towards and to have some purpose. And it doesn't have to be a grandiose purpose, um, but but that's, I think, the crux of what gives meaning to life. And, uh, and I guess once you've got that, then it just becomes a little bit of a balancing act, just trying to make uh, whatever it is that you're working towards to, to be able to balance that with uh, other ideals that you have for your life that sometimes might be conflicting. Um, you know, it's very difficult to, to be, a, you know, if you want to be a, an international speaker and to be a, a hands-on father. Uh, that's the, uh, there's obviously a major conflict there. Those two goals aren't ecological. So, uh, so I guess it's that balance between, you know, health, family, business, social. Um, and, and I think that was very much brought on board by a lot of the people that we've, uh, we've interviewed over time. One thing I've uh, admired about yourself uh, as vice president and yourself as president there and watching what you do, you've got multiple roles, uh, family, chiropractic-wise, your, your personal uh Sport ambitions with your with your bike riding, um, your tennis, etc. So, so you do a lot. What is one thing that you can share with our listeners that keeps your stress levels down? Because a lot of people would perceive that to be a very stressful lifestyle, but you come across very non-stressed. Can you give us some thoughts there to share with the audience? Um, okay. Well, first thing, first thing is sometimes what might look like a uh, calm and relaxed facade, Paul, <laughs> uh, isn't necessarily what's happening uh, in the background. Okay. But um, but yes, look, I, I do have lots of things that I, um, you know, balls that I juggle. But I, I, two, two things I, I try and focus on in terms of helping manage that. One is um, that if I'm going to do something, I'm really going to do it uh, because there's nothing worse than sort of half doing something and just feeling guilty that you didn't really give it a proper crack. Yep. So, uh, but with that, set your boundaries. So, you know, work out what the purpose is, work out this is the amount of time, effort, money, whatever it might be I'm going to put into this project and then try and really make that work as best as you can. And then when that time, money, whatever has, has, has run out or, or, you know, that's it for that day and it's that ability to be able to cut off from that and then move to whatever you're doing. I was one of my – when I first started practice, I worked in Keysborough with a guy by the name of Kevin Albrick who's still out there practicing and a great chiropractor. And it's one thing I very much admired about him. He, he had four children, uh, and the moment he worked, walked out of his practice, he was in father-husband mode. The moment he walked back into practice, he was in chiropractor mode. So I think separating those two roles and not muddying the waters, not taking – his work home with him or bringing his family life into practice with him, I think that's that's something that's really important. And then a further thing to that is, um, and I guess a way of separating those things is is being able to say no at the right times. Uh, because while, you know, when you want to say yes, you want to throw yourself into it, but sometimes that means saying no as well. And does that time with your concept of, of managing expectations? I mean, uh, have you gone through a process of evolving from saying perhaps, being a yes person to a lot of people who would come to you to say, hey, can you give me a hand here? Can you give me a hand here? Can you give me assistance here? And then over time say, you know what, I've got to say no sometimes and that manages those expectations better for your fulfilment? Yes, absolutely. And I think also that following on with that sort of idea of managing expectations, it's it's wonderful to set lofty goals and I think uh, it's important to do that. But I think it's also important to – be content and accept where you are in that process because often we don't quite reach the, the, those lofty goals. But And when we look back on our life, it's the journey that's been, uh, you know, the, the really fun uh, thing that, we, that we'll recall over, uh, you know, over a glass of wine at dinner with friends. You know, I, I, I talk about, you know, most of my stories when I'm talking about practice are the things when I was sort of struggling to get going, not when – practice was going fantastically well. So so I guess, you know, when someone wants to be somewhere else but is somewhere below that, you know, they've got to be happy where they're at. You know, great to, to aspire to, to do great things, but but you definitely have to be happy where you're at. And we see this all the time, you know, super successful people who seem super successful at the outside who um who have lots of mental health problems because of, you know, lack of 
perceived lack of purpose or lack of worth or other things and and others who you know have barely got you know two dimes to, to rub together and yet they seem to be so happy and, and so content with their life it's an interesting observation just final one point on on the thinking pillar what is your sort of go-to stress management approaches i mean we've uh, had as you said a couple of psychologists on back chat who've gone through some of their recommendations what is uh, for anthony cox and what do you do when there is stress that hits your life and what do you do to handle or manage that any any tips there i think it's really important to do something that completely takes you away from whatever it is that's stressing you out. Now, for some people, that might be meditation. And, um, you know, we've got a, a couple of podcasts, you know, Stephen McKenzie and uh, Richard Chambers, who sort of went through and gave, gave us some guided meditation um, tasks. And, and I think that's fantastic. I think for me, you mentioned before about sort of my, um, some of the sporting stuff I do. This, the, I mean, I love cycling. Um, my son's uh, right into cycling. He's a, you know, very, very good elite cyclist. And, um, and so, when I'm on the bike and doing those kind of things, I really feel like I got 100% attention on what I'm doing. Um, and I think, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's not a, so much a reflective thing like medica- uh, meditation is. Um, so I guess in some ways it has some limitations, but it's just out there enjoying the moment. Um, and I think getting back to what I was saying before with um, the example with Kevin Albrecht, just, uh, just being in the moment and, you know, moving moving the moments around as much, as best you can. Now, you remember there were sort of two sort of key themes that we used to sort of, you know, for a bit of fun, sort of segue into some podcasts. There was one for me and there was one for you. And I think yours started with, uh, I mean, you used to always slip in the fact about tennis and uh, in the first half of the podcast we did, but then we did move to cycling, didn't we? After that, yeah, we did. Yeah, I sort of got a bit. Lit. Oh, well, I'm still playing tennis, but I but cycling became more of a passion. That's for sure. Yeah, do you understand what what I used to try and uh, pop into podcast? Yeah, you were you were the Italian guy. You oh, were anytime, right. anytime you could speak Italian and uh, <laughs> rave on about your uh, Italian heritage, that was that was your thing. I, I understand. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Try and have links. Everyone has an Italian link somewhere. Just well, that's it. I I, I plan. We, I turned fifty next year, and. Uh, Italy is uh, where I plan to be when I turn 50, so you, you'll have to help me in brushing up my teeth. Right, team. okay. Now, I'll give you some destination choices there, don't you worry. Now, Anthony, we move to number two regards the pillar of moving. Can you give us your thoughts, your, your, your pearls, your nuggets there, please? Well, I reckon this is the one that just comes up time and time again with so many of our podcasts. Um, the, uh, I mean, the second podcast I remember with Margaret Beavis, she yep. did a study um, that showed that people who had access to public transport walked more and therefore had better health uh, and so her thing was very much in the public health sector about um, creating some equity around that so that everyone would have the equal type of uh, access to, to public uh, to public transport and therefore move more uh, professor Carrick said that you know if movement could be found in a pill that uh, it would be the the world's biggest seller so so movement is a key to, and uh, an example, actually, this is perfect timing because I had a patient who was just in uh, just this morning, so yeah. only a couple of hours ago. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, to give you an idea of her background, this is a, a lady. She's in her mid-60s. She has a very poor gait. She's got a fair bit of arthritic change in her low back. Her hips and knees all rotate uh, in, you know, has a bit of a, like a, a duck waddle for the, for the yeah. uh, I guess, to, to put a picture around it. Pigeon-tone, and we've yeah. been yeah. talking so for, for so long. I mean, her, her chiropractic care has certainly helped her a great deal. She doesn't get the pain that she used to get. Um, but for so long, we've been talking about sort of some movement strategies for her. And, um, and about six months ago, uh, she finally started water aerobics and has just all of a sudden loved that. And the other thing I've been trying to push with her, because her gait is so poor and she's got really weak glutes, uh, I've been suggesting these glute exercises and to get onto an exercise bike. Yep. And she's only just recently told me to today, she's been doing it for the last three weeks. And I can tell you, in, in three weeks, just the way she walked in today, her gait was visibly different than what it was, uh, you know, previous times that I've seen her. It, as I said, even though the chiropractic here, yes, that, that certainly helped, but you know, she then had to go out and move in a certain way. And for her, this was a really big thing to do because, you know, she's not used to doing it. You know, she didn't grow up um, or, or if she did grow up with that kind of uh, 
encouragement around her as a child that that was soon lost so that most of her adult life she hasn't really done those sorts of things so it's a big I mean for me and you and for so many other people it's you know of course we move we do it all the time you know we're, we're fortunate in that we're chiropractors and that we're standing and moving all the time as opposed to sitting at a desk um so it's intuitively natural for us but for a lot of people it's not and um making that tra- transition so that movement becomes the norm is uh, is i think really really important for for good health now it's funny because when we look at the brain i mean the brain is a lot of the the uh, neurology is associated with movement. We've got the brain stem, we've got the cerebellum, the basal ganglia, we've got the, we've got the motor components in the frontal cortex, we've got the sensory components in the parietal cortex. Just thinking about what you're saying there, reflecting back to the central nervous system, the brain, it's, it's no surprise that people who are active tend to be clearer thinkers tend to um, get more work done. You know, I, I, I don't think that's a coincidence. Absolutely. Well, uh, certainly uh, a lot of the people that we've uh, interviewed from the uh, neurology background are very much onto movement for neurological benefits. Uh, But it's not something, I mean, the the science is evolving, but the concept is hardly new, you know. Um, Most, you know, school environments know that, you know, if children are kept moving, they can concentrate better in class. So, you know, the, the, and also there's a huge sort of social benefit for these sorts of things. And this is, um, you know, a lot of the uh, activities that I like to do is also evolves around other people. Um, so that, you know, I, yes, occasionally I'll cycle on my own or I'll bring out the trainer. And quite often, if I'm just purely wanting the, uh, the exercise benefits um, and in, in improving my, um, uh, you know, uh, ability to, to, to race hard on a bike, then a lot of it is, you know, solo work really, because then you're just looking at your power meter and you're on a set program. But while that's all great, that, you know, the cycling that I really enjoy is, you know, cycling with my mates and, uh, you know, stopping off and having a coffee and just chewing the fat. So it, it's a great way to, uh, I think, to be social in our environment when we're moving. And just maybe a final point on regards to the moving pillar of uh, well-being. I mean, you used that great example earlier with a patient who improved her gait with with building exercise. What sort of tip can you give to the the, pe- the person perhaps listening to this podcast who is sedentary, who doesn't move a lot, perhaps maybe overweight? Um, what sort of tips could you give there to make that transition? Given we've you know, announced the importance of moving and everything we do. <laughs> I think probably, you know, taking baby steps, if you, if you pardon the pun, um, you know, you, sometimes if, uh, for someone's not used to doing, you know, moving their body a great deal, then just, just being satisfied initially with just doing little things and trying to make movement incidental in what you do in your life. You know, the, the idea of joining a gym might be, oh, that's a step too far, but you know, how about just, uh, you know, going for short walks or getting out of my chair often and moving or taking the stairs instead of the elevator? It seems like, you know, these are all things that we've heard before, but but if we really stop for a moment and think about it and start to actually practice and do it, you, you, you do get benefits from even small incidental movements. And that's something you can actually build on. You know, you don't eat an elephant in one big bite, you know, you just do it chunks at a time. And for, for people who aren't used to moving, just start with little chunks and, and build slowly from there. Excellent. So if we're going to Italy next year for your 50th, Anthony, we're going to have to think about the eating pillar of well-being here. And <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on food and uh, the importance of it for yourself either personally or what you picked up from the podcast. Well, I almost feel like a bit of a phony uh, talking too much about nutrition where you, when you're the one who has the uh, postgraduate nutrition uh, degree here, Paul. But um, but I, I guess, um, you know, I, I grew up um, in a family that sort of ate well. Um, you know, we always had, you know, good, fresh um uh, you know, f- food on the table and, you know, fruit and veg that we could just grab at any, any time. We, 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 you know, we had like, like everyone, we had the occasional junk food, but it was, it was really a, a minimal thing. Um, there are so many sort of uh, ideas about nutrition out there that can get really confusing. And I think perhaps one of the most important thing is that we think less about the micronutrients and think more about the macronutrients and just have a love of food and, and just – 
enjoy cooking, enjoy preparation of cooking, enjoy the the cultural, social, family bonding that can happen about sitting down and enjoying a meal together. I think that's probably the um, uh, one of the things that I think is really important about uh, about cooking. So, so learn, you know, enjoying cooking, you know, enjoying preparing food. That's probably basic. I think the two of the podcasts that I enjoyed the most that we did were the, the, the double podcast that we did with Damien Christoph, and it was we, we sort of I think we had the ten. Ten myths of um, of eating was one of them, and I think there were the ten something of something else. Uh, I can't remember exactly how we we, we worded it, but basically, uh, Damo went through a whole range of different things. You know, talking about good fats, bad fats. You know, do you cook in oil? Do you cook in water? Do all these sorts of things and break it, break it down. And at the very end of it, he said, "You know what?" And at the end of that, none of that really matters. Just eat well. You know, so so sometimes we can overcomplicate things, uh, especially with nutrition. Um, there may be, you know, certain times with certain individuals where you do need to really look at the uh, at the specifics and and delve right into the micronutrients. But I think so much of the time it's just about eating good natural food. It's funny. It was uh, back chat twenty one twenty two, the food mythology with uh, Damien, and he went through those those components, and I think. I, look, I know Damon very well, but I think I looked at your response because you didn't expect him to come up with that conclusion. Um, yeah. And knowing some of the work that Damien's done and on the podcast that, he, that he's been involved with. Now, that's not your mobile phone going off there, is it, Paul? It is. Actually. That's a very unprofessional conduct there. It, in, in 38 podcasts, not once have uh, we left our mobile phone on until you've waited to my very last one. That's right. That's yeah. exactly. It's actually a back to podcast rolled in there. I think I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, but there you go. Uh, but look, the great thing about that was his summation of that. And I think about it too. If you look at the longevity studies, and a lot of longevity studies that are showing uh, that are showing centurions, and the common theme with those centurions is the Social cultural connections with uh, the the populations of people, which oh, actually includes Salgada, uh, Sardinia in Italy, by the way, Anthony. Um, yeah, yeah, yes, well, yes, that's right. Italy in Greece and um, Costa Rica, and there's seven day Venice in the US, as well as Okinawa in Japan, and a lot of those have the situation where, especially in the latter stages of life, there's connections. There's the out the elders in the family tree are not left to sort of be put into a nursing home. They're kept strongly in the family group, and it's you know that and, and I think that's where his point was coming from. That that is those connections. It might be the food around the table is important to be quality nutrition, natural as you say, but it's the connections, the social connections that are just as important for the longevity. Which I suppose was really probably the biggest myth, you know. Yeah. You know and. Uh, I don't know, I went to a, an annual symposium with Bioceuticals the previous weekend and uh, uh, Ross Walker, a well-respected cardiologist, he uh, went through a particular Russian uh, medical specialist who talked about nutrition very heavily and showed a profile picture of him. He was very lean, very thin, um, and he was talking about living for the I think the 120-year diet he was planning for, right? And hundred twenty year old diet, and he passed. Mm. He passed away at seventy nine. You know, a year below right. perhaps what we consider as the average male length of life. Yes. And uh, and he used an example of uh, a French lady who I think was the oldest person alive at one hundred nineteen, and I think she actually stopped smoking at one hundred eighteen and thought, well, I'd better stop <laughs> this vice. At 118, it's, and it's not good for your health. That's not good for your health. <laughs> and uh, one year later, she passed away. Uh, yeah. And look, and that was his point. He was putting together that sort of you can focus heavily on one area, say for instance, nutrition. But you know what? End of the day, what has this is a great example of someone who smoked right through and was happy, was really contented with their life, and thereby um, had that longevity. What's your thoughts there? <laughs> Well, it's, first of all, it's not to say that we advocate smoking, of course, but Thank clearly you. there is yes, yes. the massive advantage uh, of that social interaction. And, you know, I think we're actually as a society maybe even because Australia was very much the case where it has been since, you know, the, um, I guess, 1930s, 1940s, in fact, probably 40s, 50s, I would say, that uh, that we've had that 
separation where, you know, um, family groups have, have been a little bit more disparate. Whereas now I think there's a little bit of movement coming back together and part of it might be financially in that, that it's, you know, harder for kids to move out of home and get their own homes and those sorts of things. So we tend to do things a little bit more in a family group and, and, and living and eating together happens perhaps also influenced by other cultures coming to, to Australia. So, you know, um, as we age, we need that neurological stimulation and sometimes, uh, you know, grandma and grandpa constantly engaging with grandchildren helps keep them alert. So, uh, you know, there's the food element, there's the social interaction element, there's the novel stimulation of the brain element. All these things are really important for, for, uh, for staying young, I guess. And for yourself personally, do you look at portions of food? Do you, is that part of your eating plan? And what, 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 is, what is the Anthony Coxon eating plan? What do you sort of broadly subscribe to? Because I know you keep fit, you keep well. Uh, yeah, look, I, I mean, I love my food. I, as you know, I'm naturally genetically a, you know, I think when I was uh, probably 18 years old, I, I weighed 75 kilograms. Um, now I'm, you know, 49 years old and I, and I weigh 73 kilograms. So, and I reckon I've, that that's about as much as my weight has varied in uh, in in all those years. So uh, I'm naturally uh, uh, on the uh, leaner side. Um, I, I don't look. I, I enjoy fresh, you know, fresh, easy to eat food. You know, so I'm a uh, a fruit and veg type type of guy. I try to not to eat too much fruit. I try and have lots of veggies. I like meat, but I'm um, but but you know, I probably have you know the, the typical massive palmer that takes up. Uh, you know, four fifths of your um, plate, and and then there's a little bit of salad garnish on the side there. That's, you know, I I don't like to eat that way. I'll, I'll have a, a small piece portion of meat and a big chunky salad. I love my salads. So really good, substantial salads. So um, that's what I'm saying is, you, if you get good food and it's prepared well, it's something that you enjoy eating. It doesn't feel like a, a laborious chore to eat well. What about satiety and feeling of fullness? Do you how do you, do you manage that anyways? Do you think about eating? You know, with do you you don't overeat, or is that something where you see food and look? Uh, yeah, look, I think this is, um, and I guess one thing that uh, gets back a little bit to cultural way in which we do eat. If we're sitting down and and you know, it's more of a um, uh, uh, a social. Uh, uh, food gathering, then you'll tend to eat a little bit slower, so that you'll naturally re- reach that fullness before you know, perhaps a little earlier than you will if you're just lying uh, off the food and munching it down. But but I, because I you know try to keep fairly active, I have a pretty big appetite anyway. So um, you know, when I'm hungry, I eat basically. Yeah, very good. The fourth pillar, which I think is such a, a underutilized, underthought of pillar in healthcare across the board, is sleep. And sleeping uh, as well as positive. What, what's your thoughts on that from your perspective? Well, when we were first talking about putting this podcast together, and uh, what were the things that we felt were really important to health, you know, sleep was right up there, and it, you know, there's no question about it being in one of the five pillars. Uh, but it's uh, having said that, we probably haven't um, done a lot of podcasts specifically on sleep, That's but true. it yeah. is uh, it, it is absolutely crucial. A, an example of this is. Um, you know, being a chiropractor, I'm all for you know natural health, but but recognise that uh, sometimes you know the the, the medical pro- approach is absolutely the way to go. So um, often, and I'm sure you get these questions. Uh, you know, you'll start care with someone, and they'll say, "Look, should I be taking my anti-inflammatory drugs?" Um, and a lot of the conversations I'll have around that, in terms of you know management of pain, will be, "Well, okay, how much is your pain that you've got at the moment?" Um, interrupting your life is it something that you could that is there, but you can still do what you want to do. Uh, you can still manage it. You can you can get up out of your chair. You can do these exercises that we've talked about, and obviously, hopefully, as they continue to have their chiropractic care, that it won't be a an issue anyway. But is it something that they can work their way through? And if it's yes, I say, well, look, you know, maybe maybe you don't need to be taking it as much as you have been or, or, or at all if they only take it uh, a little bit anyway. If they say, look, I really can't sleep very well because I'm in pain, that's a completely different story because if someone's not sleeping uh, or they're getting significantly interrupted sleep, I know that that's going to affect their healing process significantly. So uh, still judging each case on its individual merits, but as a general uh, comment, 
you would want someone to be making sure that they could control their pain to the level which would they could and inflammatories or other pain relieving medication then then so be it and uh sleep ritual advice what do you give to your patients and or what do you do yourself in order to try and optimize sleep any tips there yeah well starts with a good mattress and a good pillow definitely so um and you know to some degree you get what you pay for with with these sorts of things but certainly um you know some some people do better on different mattresses you know some people can spend a a lot of money on a mattress and not not think it's you know very good at all so i certainly encourage people if they're buying mattresses i mean we have suppliers that that we like to refer to because we know the sort of level of service that they get and the quality of the beds that they recommend. Um, but but regardless, I think um, if couples are buying bed, then they both need to be uh, lying on their bed and they both need to be on that bed for a, an extended period of time. So it's not good just to quickly lie down and go, oh, yeah, that feels soft, that feels hard. It gets pretty confusing. So I think just um, narrowing it into the better quality beds and just – Give me yourself time to really work out which one you think works best for you. Uh, and same would be for, for the pillows. And then in addition to that, I think thinking about your posture in bed, and once again, this um, uh, is a little bit individual, but stomach sleepers, um, unless you're really flexible in your neck like uh, young children. So obviously from the uh, SIDS point of view, uh, very young children are encouraged not to sleep on their stomach, which is uh, very good for a very small portion of the population that might be at risk of SIDS, so they've got hypertonic muscles and uh, more likely to put their nose and mouth into an area where they can't breathe and not have the muscle tone and development to turn their head appropriately. So um, for those type of children, obviously, you want them uh, uh, on their back, but unfortunately, what that does, it, it tends to create flat skulls um, in, in children, uh, something called plagiocephaly, which you know most chiropractors will know about. So, um, so it's not, I think, instinctively um, for kids to be on, if they're a little bit older perhaps, uh, to be on stomach, some of them might be okay, but not many adults. Uh, I don't know about you, but certainly my advice for, for adults, they, if they, unless they've got a hole in their bed where they can breathe through, then sleeping on the stomach will tend to create problems. So side sleeping and back sleeping is generally what uh, we would recommend if they're on their back having a pillow underneath one or both knees just to have a slight bend in the knee to take pressure off the low back. And uh, if you're on your side, to have a, a pillow between your knees. And if you feel uh, if you really want to go the extra mile, even have a pillow uh, at chest height so that your knees and shoulders aren't rotated. Uh, and it's just a, you know, a natural sort of comfortable way to sleep because you're in that nice neutral posture. Do you think there's an opportunity for the design of a bed with like a like a hole for a headpiece just right across a third of the way down for those stomach sleepers, yeah. you know, that they could then sleep on that? I mean, I'm surprised the uh, sleep manufacturers haven't come up with an idea like that. I mean, there you go. I mean, it's, it's like, oh, we've shared that with the Wi-Fi world now. Someone will probably do very well out of that. Well, I certainly have a lot of patients from time to time that will lie down on the table and say, oh, if only my bed was like this, you know, and I could just so comfortable. But but I guess, you know, you you also move around in in, in your sleep and that's natural. So you don't want to be in the same posture for all eight hours or however long you're in bed. So maybe that would create challenges. Now, certainly, it's not an expertise for myself. As as you know, Matthew, I sleep five to six hours. And uh, what, what length of time do you get for sleep? Oh, I definitely need more than that. Uh, yeah, no, I'm a. I, I'm. Uh, it's funny, you know. My my wife, um, she's a bit of a night owl, has historically been, and now she's just in the last couple of years. She's very much a early to bed, early to rise girl, which is which suits me because that's what I like to be as well. But uh, but definitely, I, I I need my eight hours. I'm yeah, just a little on the grumpy side if I if I don't get a good night's sleep. Fair enough. And the last one of this is anything you do before going to bed? Is there like screens off or, you know, any other little rituals you do before to try and optimize some of that sort of slow wave theta brainwave sleeping? 
Well, certainly for um, you know, in terms of patient recommendations, um, yeah, absolutely to to not be watching television or working too long on your computer just before you go to bed, just because it fires up your mesencephalon, which is the alert, let's get ready to go kind of part of your brain. That's hardly something that you want when you're wanting to doze off. I, I tend to do. Um, I've got a foam roller in my uh, bedroom that is, uh, I would say. Uh, six out of seven days of the week, I would spend some time doing some rolling exercises on that uh, before I get into bed just to sort of really unwind your body for the day. I find that's a really, really good uh, way just to – so you don't sort of go to bed already feeling sort of, you know, tense. You're already sort of, you know, unwound. So, And I, and I often suggest to patients, you know, if they're doing sort of stretching-type exercises, do them before you get into bed because uh, you'll often sleep better and, and wake up more comfortable. Excellent. Now, to the final pillar. Now, actually, I need to go back and check how you said the word there. Frankie Barash, who's a chiropractor in Sydney, every time I see him at a seminar, he goes, neurology, as we try to sort of curl the, 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 the term out. Did you curl it out, Anthony, or did you just say it as neurology? No, I, no, I deliberately just uh, went for my take on neurology. I didn't want to try and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to jump into shoes that are just way too big for me, Paul. So you, you've got the extended out neurology down. Oh, we'll just, uh, yeah, I'm not going to try and imitate it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, talk to us about it, though. I mean, it's a, it's essential sort of tenant towards chiropractic and your views overall. We've, we've spent a lot of our podcasts. Uh, I put a note up in our clinic reception. Uh, it was Brain Awareness uh, Week in the last month, and I popped in our whiteboard. You know, if you want to listen to some downloads on our on our podcast show, here that here are the podcasts associated with the brain. And gosh, we've gone through a heap of them really in over the thirty eight. So, what's your take? Well, I guess we're chiropractors, so so this should be a, a foundational um, aspect that we're addressing. I think um, one thing with uh, chiropractic was very lucky. Uh, in its early days in that, um, you know, D.D. Palmer stumbled onto something that was really good, but the science of the time just couldn't explain why it was that he was seeing the effects that were occurring uh, in, in the people that he was uh, adjusting. So so I think that the, the technique that most people associate chiropractic uh, with, which, of course, as we know, chiropractic is a profession, not a technique, and there's multimodal um Forms of care that um, that chiropractors use to help manage and help uh, people, but um, the the adjustment, which is sort of like a, a foundational uh, tool of chiropractors, you know, that works marvelously well for so many people. Not for everyone all the time, but for you know, there's not many that it doesn't help at least a, a little bit. Our reason behind thinking why it works, it has changed significantly. You know, it's obviously, and I think it's very important. Even though chiropractors know it's not a bone out of place pressing on a nerve, it's very important, I think, that we have discussions with pa- patients to bring them up to speed and make sure that we're completely up to speed with the, um, you know, with the contemporary thinking on, on that uh, on that aspect. So, so understanding that you know the, the garbage in, garbage out phenomenon. There, our body is a, a one big sensory organ. In fact, even the the very deep muscles around uh, the spine, most. You know, people would think that the muscles are about moving the body. Well, particularly the ones very, very close into the spine and even more so at the very upper part of the spine, they're really sensory organs. They sense where the body is in space, send messages to the brain to say this is what's happening and the brain responds by sending the appropriate messages down to the bigger muscles to move and adapt our positions. So um, that's what happens when you when you get an adjustment. It's about tapping into the nervous system in that way. Um, now, it's not the case that, you know, just because you're applying a, an adjustment or doing something with a, uh, in, in that form with, with a patient that all the results are always going to be positive. It's, it's, it's really important that you uh, take stock of what's working and what's not, that you titrate your care so you give enough of it to make a difference and not enough to, uh, uh, to stir things up. And that you, you you know monitor outcomes, and I think if if a chiropractor is judicious in the way that they approach those sorts of things, they should get some pretty amazing results. Having said that, they also need to understand their limitations, and that lots of other people are out there also in this 
this world of neurology and it's good to make connections with other people so that um you know when there's uh, gaps in care that need to be filled that sometimes it's not appropriate for the chiropractor to be doing some things and and that's when it's appropriate to, to refer out uh, I know you're aware that Carlo, Renato, and myself uh, run a company called Neurology Education. We had a seminar series on the weekend in Melbourne, and we had Kelly Holt come out to speak. And one of the most fascinating feedbacks we got from the from the delegates that came was the fact that this, the, for, for instance, the suboccipital muscles is, as you alluded to, is a sensory organ. Those neuromuscular spindles there in that muscle sends huge amounts of information back to the brain and probably explains to some degree when we give uh, adjustments to that upper cervical region, how it can have um, some pretty significant effects to the brain. And uh, it sort of changes the face of how we look at neurology. It's, um, we look at it certainly from a biomechanical, segmental sort of level at one level, but the emerging science with uh, the neurological implications is taking us to other areas now of how it affects the brain. It's, it's actually a very exciting time to be involved as a chiropractor, I think. What, what do you think? Uh, absolutely. And we don't have all the answers, but I think there's some very interesting questions being asked. And, uh, and look, it's, it's, I think it bodes well for the profession and it bodes well for, uh, for people who are seeing chiropractors for sure. And, uh, with some of the neuro people we interviewed, I mean, uh, can you talk to the, the novel nature of things and uh, how that's good for the brain and, and, and overall neurology? Well, this is the thing. Uh, and I think, uh, Ted Carrick certainly makes a big, big point of this is that, um, you know, we can't be doing the same things all the time because um, it, the, the brain starts to tune out when the stimulus is the same. So uh, we know this in our, you know, in, in our day-to-day lives. You know, if you've got a, um, a dog that barks a lot in the backyard, you know, you, you might not notice it if it's, it's your dog, but, uh, but when someone comes and, uh, you know, neighbors move in next door, they'll certainly notice the barking dog. Uh, you, to, in order for our, our brains to continue to develop, because obviously, you know, neurons in the brain are dying off by the, uh, hundreds of thousands each day. We need to constantly regenerate those, uh, neurons. And the only way we do that is by new and interesting tasks. So, you know, if you're used to doing crosswords, try Sudoku. You know, if you're used to doing Sudoku, try crosswords. Don't drive home from work a different way each day. Try new activities. Um, that's so, so important. I had a really interesting story, actually, another patient who um, I remember having this conversation in a workshop I was giving about the importance of novelty and, and maybe learning a new language. And she took that so much to heart that she went out and uh, learned uh, to speak German. And she's on her way to a trip to Germany. Uh, I think she leaves in just a couple of weeks' time. She told me that just the other day. So there you go. How old is she? Uh, she would be mid sixties to yeah mid sixties I'd say quite quite a quite a fit and uh, and uh, generally healthy mid mid sixties lady yeah but I was very impressed I thought but yeah you know sometimes you you say things and make suggestions to people and sometimes they um, you know it's in one ear and out the other and sometimes they really take it to heart and embrace it and I think she was a great example I was really chuffed that she's uh, told me that she'd done that so that was terrific. Awesome. And look, you know, aging well and, you know, her risk of dementia is, is certainly going to be lessened if she's uh, using all those neuronal pools to, to learn a new language. I mean, that you couldn't get more intricate learning for the brain. It's, that's, absolutely. That's absolutely fantastic. Well, Anthony, we've got a great view of these five pillars. And uh, before we go to the last bit where we ask about the same question we've asked every other person on our podcast uh, yes. series about their uh, – that moment in their life or career that's really influenced them uh, really positively. Well, before we go to that area, I suppose it's a good opportunity just to talk about a little bit with the transition because uh, there are some reasonably big shoes for us to fill with uh, you uh, finishing up on the podcast. Well, I think you've done very well in the recruiting game, uh, Paul. I know you've got Kelly Holt who – you know, has done some magnificent work. You know, he's a chiropractor and researcher. Um, uh, he's out there at uh, New Zealand College of Chiropractic and obviously involved with you and your vestibular seminar series. So he's going to be uh, absolutely terrific, I'm sure. And I think uh, Kim Fenton, who I don't know, but uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Kim. Well, firstly, to say we've had, you should take this as a comment, we've actually had to get two people to fill your shoes. Out, <laughs> so, I mean, that's been the, that's been the first step. Now, Kim's a, Kim's a long-term friend. I actually knew Kim 
before I started chiropractic. So we met uh, La Trobe University in 1991, and she's always struck me as one of those people who sort of stuck out. She was very vibrant, um, very intelligent. She went on from La Trobe days to complete a PhD in areas of genetics. She's worked in uh, corporate health. She's uh, worked in the health industry for a long time period. She's now working uh, in, an, in a sort of senior management role um, from an admin perspective now. So she's and, and also a mum of two kids. So for me, when thinking about the process of who would be the next person to, to come on come on board and take the podcast to the to the next level, uh, Kim was someone I approached. Given all those attributes, give a female view uh, with regards her views on the things that we talk about and compliment. You know, Kelly, who will bring on that sort of a bit of a research side, but Kelly's not your, he's not really a classic researcher, not disrespecting researchers that listen here. Uh, he's got, you know, a bit of sense of humor, a bit of fun, uh, doesn't mind a bit of banter. And, you know, as you know, Andy, the, su- the success of whatever our level of success with this podcast has been is really heavily based on the chemistry between yourself and myself um, over the 30 uh 39 podcasts and really the success of Backchat going forward is going to be based on the chemistry between myself and uh, Kim and Kelly who will both take on different roles. So if there's sort of chiropractic type roles or shows, Kelly will come into those. If there's more inspirational type shows, uh, Kim will take some of those. Some may cross over occasionally. We might look at them and say, well, here's the topic. What do you guys want to do? And we'll mix it up a little bit as well to keep up with that novel idea we talked about with neurology. But um, whilst very, you know, I don't deny very sad that you're finishing up, I suppose in the other side of the coin there is uh, a, a bit of a change and uh, some new some new ideas and new concepts that uh, will take hopefully the podcast to another level. So that's the, the two people replacing you, Anthony. What do you, what do you think? Well, I think uh, the new era begins from here on in and uh, I'm sure they'll both do an exceptional job. We might have to uh, bring you back down the track on uh, on, on a particular area. We might have to uh, get you back on being an interviewed. What do you reckon? I'd love that. Excellent. Well, before we finish up, let's go to that last topic area where we discuss uh, a pivotal moment and uh, that has influenced one's life. And we've never asked you, Sandy, given you've, you've sat next to me as a co-host, but uh, what would you like to share with our back backchat audience here? Well, I reckon my, uh, certainly from a professional uh, stand, uh, in year 12, I had no idea what I wanted to do apart from I wanted to do something with health, Um, health and sports, probably I put those, roll those into into two. And I happened to just through the course of studying and other things, develop a uh, a torticollis, a wry neck and, you know, been a fair bit of pain and uh, spasm and head turned off one side and my mother who'd been seeing a chiropractor and at that stage I didn't really know much about chiropractor at all took me along to see her chiropractor who is Bruce Dobson uh, since now retired yeah but um, and Bruce was fantastic you know he was just uh, I was just he didn't do like there wasn't wasn't anything in terms of some great explanation or you know this is how we think as chiropractors and this is why he just went down he listened to what i said he laid me down and he did his thing and i was just completely impressed on two levels one that um uh that you know i felt so fantastic uh, after receiving his care and two just how i could feel so well given the sort of things that he was doing to me i just never connected uh those kind of dots before and i think i pretty much came out of that office um after my very first adjustment and said, okay, I know what I want to do now. I, and uh, I think it was the very next month where you had to put down your uh, uh, your choices of university and what courses you wanted to do and uh, chiropractic was uh, was number one. It's pretty amazing given that influence there has uh, made made a major impact of your whole career, you know, so, and you've taken chiropractic to the highest level on different fronts. You've done uh, postgraduate in different areas. You've done the diplomat of neurology. You've done uh, other areas of postgraduate technique systems. Uh, politically, you've done a lot in the sense of being uh, president of the CA Victoria on a, on a couple of occasions, two different stints. You've been chiropractor of the year nationally, was that, as well as state? Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Both, both. So, I mean, that encounter, that torticollis uh, was, was very significant in your life. It wasn't a bad torticollis to get, that's for sure. It's probably the best you could get. 
And finally, to finish off before we leave you with the conclusion uh, components of the podcast, what's three take-home messages, Anthony? I guess, uh, look, one would be to embrace all emotions. Uh, Paul Noon made a great comment in uh, pod, way back in podcast number one about um, you know strive for fulfilment rather than striving for happiness because um, again the, the novelty of the brain where we're as 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 human beings we're meant to have a variety of experiences and emotions um, and it's not that you allow yourself to you know stay in the doldrums um, but you know if that's what your experience is embrace that. And then move on. So uh, embracing all emotions would be my first one. Um, learn to love movement. You know, we've spoken about it lots. Um, you know, we're healthier and better when we're moving. And I think the third one, just uh, be gentle and kind to your fellow man. You know, sometimes when you're good to someone else, you're really just being good to yourself because uh, it's one small world we live in. And, uh, you know, karma will come around eventually. And on that really point, you know, let me thank you for – for the podcast, for your co-host, for your support, uh, for the abilities to be really able to take the podcast to different levels, as we said earlier, we didn't think we'd get to, um, for your understanding, for, for everything you've given us in regards the abilities to support us through a project that you and I really volunteer to, really, at the end of the day. It's something we've uh, both just put our time and energy into and you're you know, very busy with your family and work career and you know, for, to do this over really two and a half years, uh, we had a pilot program for a while beforehand. It's probably been about a three-year project. Uh, I, all I can say is thank you so much for this and certainly cemented our friendship forever and uh, uh, thank you so much. Paul, I'd like to also say that like, I've really appreciated spending time with you. We, we, we knew each other before we got into this, but uh, obviously we got to know each other a whole lot better going through. And I've, you know, really appreciated your support and, uh, and really admire the way you've taken things forward. I mean, um, and, and I'm sure that the back chat will continue to, to grow and prosper for many years to come. I'll leave it to you now, Anthony. Okay. And with that, thank you for listening to back chat. To stay abreast of all updates with Backchat, please go to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Backchat Podcast. All relevant website links of today's podcast will be on our Backchat Podcast Facebook page. If you like the show, please leave us with a five-star rating on iTunes. We'll leave you with one thought. Be the best at what you can do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you again on our next Backchat Podcast. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.